All right, ready for the word? Amen. All right. So, uh, first of all, I'd like to start with this. I'm, I'd just like to publicly thank the uh, government of Ontario for uh, having an election this week and lining it up perfectly with the passage that we had already planned for this day. Um, so, that's awesome. And I say that because um, in this passage, uh, as we work through uh, uh, Luke 20 here, Jesus is again facing a challenge to his authority and some leaders who are coming to him trying to incriminate him based on some things that they're trying to get him to say. And, and the passage in particular, the question that's put to Jesus is one about government. And that's why it's so appropriate in light of what happened on Thursday with our provincial election. And really the question comes down to what do we as the followers of Christ, what do we owe government versus what do we owe God? Where are our obligations? And it's going to speak to, the, to this overarching uh, priority that we have as citizens of God's kingdom. We want to interact with all of this because we know that there are massive implications for us as the followers of Christ, as we interact with human government in light of the fact that we're people of faith and therefore we're under the government of God. What do we owe to each of these as citizens of both of these? And so let me read the passage for you. Then we're gonna, uh, I'm going to quickly do a kind of like a commentary through the passage. And then we'll lay down a key principle. And then we'll start looking at some applications. So a little bit different approach than what we normally do. So this is Luke 20, verses 19 to 26. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Well, let's just kind of work through this again in kind of more of a commentary, less of a preaching, but more of a commentary um, uh, fashion, just to see what it says. Verse 19, of course, we have these chief priests and these scribes, and Jesus had just told this parable. We looked at it uh, last week. It's in verses 9 through 18. It was the parable of the wicked tenants, and uh, verse 19 tells us that they knew that this parable was about them. They knew that he was condemning them and calling them out in some way, but they couldn't directly respond to it because it says in verse 19, and this is where they fall into the politics of it, they feared the people. That's what the negative side of politics is, that you're always afraid of the people. You're always catering to the people. You always make promises to the people, whether you intend to keep them or not. Okay, It's always, you're just succumbing to whatever the people feel that's that's politics, and it was keeping them from publicly stopping Jesus from doing what he was doing. But in their hearts, verse 20 tells us, they definitely had malicious intent toward Jesus. And I just want to say this, because they're, they're watching him, then they send spies, and the spies are pretending to be sincere. Now remember, these are the religious leaders of Israel, the people who are supposed to take the people of Israel and, and usher them into the presence of God to help them understand God and to, and to work out their relationship with God. That's who these people are. But they're hiring spies. They're pretending to be sincere. I mean, if you love God, I'm just thinking you never hire spies. Doesn't that make sense? If, you're, if you love God and you're a leader of God's people, you're never pretending to be sincere. And I'm just saying you're getting a sense of what these leaders are really about. They're about this malicious intent to take Jesus out, but they lacked the legal power to do anything about it. And therefore, Jesus had to be tripped up, not on points of their law, but had to be tripped up on points of Roman law so that the Romans would be the ones who would arrest him and deal with them. 
And so they wanted him to be delivered, you notice, over to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor, who was Pontius Pilate. The whole thing starts, verse 21, with empty flattery. I mean, when you read this, you have to believe they're pretending to be sincere. So when they say, we know you teach and speak, you know, you speak and teach rightly. We know you show no partiality. We know you teach the way of God. That's all blah, blah, blah. They don't believe that. This is, this is feigned sincerity. It's, it's empty flattery is what it is. And so they go on, is it lawful for us? This is their question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, tribute's not a tax like any tax that we have. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's, um, it's what conquer, conquered people paid directly to the emperor as an obligation toward him that would constantly remind them that they were a subject people, that they were not free. So, so regular Romans didn't have to pay tribute to the emperor. This was about the conquered peoples that had to pay tribute to the emperor to remind them we were conquered. So not quite a tax like anything we would have, which for us, and we'll talk about this in a moment, uh, but taxes for us are, are fees for services, okay? They're fees for services. So, so here's Jesus. So they're coming with all this empty flattery. They have this question for him. And the dilemma that he now faces in, 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 the, in the face of this is if he answers yes, should we pay this tribute to Caesar or not? If he says yes, you should pay it, then the people who are all on Jesus' side at this point, okay, the people are going to be like, I'm out on Jesus. He's telling us to pay tribute to Rome, and that is not what we're thinking. But if he says, no, don't pay the tribute, then that catches the attention of the Romans who are now going to arrest him for sedition. So Jesus is now, he has this dilemma. No matter how I answer this, yes or no, I'm going to have um, a problem. But Jesus didn't fall for the flattery, nor does Jesus fall for the trap that they've uh, set up for him. He sees through, verse 23, he sees through their craftiness, and then he asks to see a particular coin. He says, show me a denarius. Now, the reason why he says to show them a, a, a denarius, here it is right here, um, is because this actually has, and he says, whose likeness is on it? Who, what, what inscription is on it? And this is actually Tiberius Caesar, who was the Caesar at the time that Jesus is speaking, at the time this is happening. He's the Roman emperor. So Jesus wants to see this particular one. The inscription on it says this, Tiberius Caesar, this is in Latin, Tiberius Caesar, Divi August, Fili Augustus, which means Tiberius Caesar, worshipful son of the God Augustus. Worshipful son of the God Augustus. On the, on the other side, on the right side of the screen here, you see the goddess, the Roman goddess Pax, P-A-X, which is the Latin word for peace. So the goddess of peace. And the inscription there says um, a Pontiff Maximus, which is the high priest. So the emperor was seeing himself, Tiberius was seeing himself as the high priest of the goddess Pax. And if you know your uh, ancient history well enough, you know that the Roman Empire brought to the Mediterranean world what was called the Pax Romana, which was peace throughout the Mediterranean world and arguably from history, though it was a ruthless regime in so many ways and conquered so many people, it brought great prosperity to the entire Mediterranean world. It brought order and it brought common language, which eventually, by the way, built roads, built infrastructure, all of that, all of that made the spread of the gospel through the Mediterranean world possible. The Pax Romana was actually a pretty awesome thing in history. But Tiberius Caesar saw himself as the high priest of the goddess who provided this peace to the Roman world. Now, so why is Jesus pointing out this particular coin with this particular image, Tiberius Caesar, and this particular inscription? It's all because he's really trying to get at the heart of these religious leaders to really say to them, where exactly is your allegiance? That becomes a really important word throughout this message. Where's your allegiance? Who are you for? Because it's obvious throughout this passage, and in fact throughout the gospel, that the religious leaders were not at all for the God that they claimed to serve, but really were for themselves and were happy to be collaborating with the Romans to maintain 
peace and order and the power that they actually had. And so it isn't that the paying of tribute, even though it was a tax toward a certain emperor to keep them subservient, paying the tribute was not necessarily uh, the wrong thing here. But these particular leaders had sold themselves out to Rome for their own benefit. They had long ago abandoned the priority of leading God's people in anticipation of the Messiah. And of course, the irony is that the Messiah is standing right in front of them. And they couldn't see him. And so he said to them, verse 25, and this is what you should have underlined because this is his response, which is awesome. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And again, just another mic drop moment for Jesus, right? He shuts them up. The word render here carries the idea of paying back what you owe having an obligation that you meet. So I'm going to render out of obligation. I owe this, so I'm going to do it. That's what render means. And Jesus is making it clear through this that there are obligations that we have to both human government and to the government of God. But please be careful. As the followers of Christ, we understand that one of those obligations takes precedence over the other. And so then the postscript, verse 26, they're unsuccessful in incriminating him, but notice they, they're marveling at his answer. These are the spies, are marveling at his answer. It actually shut them up. The spies became silent before Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the principle that Jesus is making, and this is in your notes, and it'll be on the screen. I must be devoted to the holy, holy and eternal rather than the profane and temporal. And that's what we're going to unpack now um, as we work this out and break it down into some application points. And so let's talk first about this. Let's talk about our earthly obligations. What are my earthly obligations? Now, you've seen your notes. You just have earthly obligations and you have these heavenly ones. I'm going to give you five earthly obligations and three um, heavenly obligations that we would have or eternal obligations. So um, let's start with this. And um, as I talk about earthly obligations, let's, let's remember that, um, that these also can be holy and eternal, even though they're earthly obligations, even though they're being worked out on the horizontal plane, largely in the relationships that we have with one another, they're still very much can be holy and eternal. In fact, with every choice that you're making on a daily basis, multiple choices in a day, should I do this or should I do that? We're really deciding between holy and eternal things or profane and temporal things. Which will I choose in each situation that I face? And if we could talk about the negative in a second of these earthly obligations, which is really what the text is going after in, in Luke 20, we're talking about the profane things, the profane sense of this, where the spies are acting on behalf of the religious leaders. They're not acting genuinely at all. They're showing themselves to be devoted to themselves. They're working for the purpose of political expediency, not God's kingdom. I mean, if you're about any of the things that are being demonstrated to us in this passage, if you're about money, if you're about making a name for yourself, if, if you're about selfish things, if you're about personal comfort, if you're rooting your hope in, in earthly solutions to the deepest problems that we face, then you're more about rendering to Caesar than you are about rendering to God. And for sure, the clearest application here is you don't want to be like these spies and you don't want to be like the guys they're working for. We don't want to be tripping into making decisions for profane things in our lives. That's the negative side. Of it. Now, the positive side of it, positive, but still temporal, okay? Not, not reaching into eternity, but just relating to this life, but still positive things. What are my earthly obligations as a follower of Jesus Christ? What should I be rendering to Caesar? And we're going to draw upon a, a bunch of other passages that are going to help us get 
uh, to that place to understand render to Caesar in the good and positive sense of what uh, that means. And so again, let me give you five of these. The first of these, um, not popular, not popular at all, number one, but pay, pay your taxes. Uh, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Pay your taxes. Now, again, the passage didn't have to do with tribute, had to do with tribute and not specifically the kinds of taxes that we pay, but nonetheless a tax. Let's, let's call it a, a conqueror's tax uh, in that sense, but let's talk a little bit more about the kind of taxes that we pay. Again, I called them uh, taxes. However you feel about taxes, whether you feel they're too high or too low or how that all plays out or where the money is allocated, let's please understand that taxes today are fees for services. So you pay your taxes and your garbage gets picked up. You pay your taxes and when you dial 911, a police, fire, or paramedics arrive. Uh, you pay your taxes and the roads get cleared in winter. You pay your taxes and you have a, a great waterfront park to go to. You get the idea. We pay our taxes and we receive services for those taxes that we pay. Now Paul dealt with this very directly in Romans 13, 6 and 7, now listen to this. Because of this, and the whole section is about governance, because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Now pause there for a second. The authorities, he's talking about government, the authorities are ministers of God. Think about that. Your member of parliament, your member of the provincial parliament, all of the um, public servants that work for them, everything from the guy who picks up your garbage to the firefighters who are down at station one, they're, they're ministers of God because God set up the institution of government. Now think about that because it's gonna affect the way we think about our government. They're ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I mean, this is really heading us in a certain direction about our attitude toward government, don't you think? I mean, Jesus' Jesus' own family registered to be taxed. Did you know that? Luke chapter 2, he wasn't even born yet. Joseph and Mary are up in Nazareth. They get the word that the whole Roman Empire is going to be subject to a census, and the census is for the purpose of taxation. They're going to levy a poll tax on every person in the empire. So Joseph and Mary make their way, not being obedient to God in that sense of it, just being obedient to the very mundane thing that the government told them to go register for a tax. So they make their way down to Bethlehem, not realizing that in going to Bethlehem, they're going to fulfill prophecies given hundreds of years prior that their son is going to be born there as the savior of the world. It's awesome to think about that I could do just very mundane, ordinary, horizontal uh, obligations to this earth kind of thing and be fitting into the plans that God has for this world and for the universe. When we do our small part, isn't it true? When we do our small part, God does his big part. And it's awesome to see that playing out, even though we can't possibly grasp the intricacies of what God is doing in this world. I just need to be faithful with the part he's given me to do. And so as weird as it sounds, the part that he's given me to do is pay my taxes. So pay your taxes. It's part of my earthly obligation as a follower of Christ. Here's a second one, respect government. This, as soon as I hear this, respect government, and I, and I think back to the verses I just read, Romans 13, 6 to 7, the very tail end of that, you'll remember, said, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Again, he's talking in the context of government. So government deserves, listen, govern, you heard it here first. Government deserves our respect, period, full stop. Government deserves our respect. And as soon as I think about this, the first guy I think about in the scriptures is Daniel. I mean, here's Daniel. He's a young man. He's living in Israel. The armies of Nebuchadnezzar come in. He gets hauled off into exile. And for the remainder of his life, he never lives in Israel. And he serves a succession of governments, all of which were pagan kings and emperors. And he does it faithfully for an entire lifetime without compromising anything with regard to his faith. 
And in fact, that very first king, think about it, he had to respect government. The very first king that he served was Nebuchadnezzar, who sent those armies into Israel, who, who, who conquered his land, who, who, who tore down the walls of Jerusalem and burned it, who tore down the temple where the worship of God took place. The very same king who carried him and his friends off into exile, who, who killed all, all manner of people, his own people. And yet Daniel, carried into exile, had to serve and respect this king who had taken everything away from Daniel. And Daniel wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Daniel 2.21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He removed the king of Judah, and he set up the king of Babylon. Every government that we have had and every government we have is ordained by God. It's there to accomplish his purpose. It doesn't mean the government does everything in line with what the scriptures say. It just means that the government is there by God's command to affect his great plan for this world. The Apostle Paul said something very similar about respecting government in Romans chapter 13. Again, this is the section on government. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The new government of Ontario has been instituted by God. The government we have in Ottawa has been instituted by God. The government in Moscow, the government in D.C. has been instituted by God. Do we believe the scriptures or not? Can I get an amen for that last part? Amen. That was the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise uh, those who do good. Now, Paul and Peter are both writing in the context of a totalitarian regime where the emperor considered himself to be, what did the coin say? He considered himself to be the worshipful son of the god Augustus. And they're saying, Respect that government. I mean, when you think about our premier or our prime minister, whether past or present ones, I mean, that doesn't even come close to what Tiberius thought about himself. And I don't think our current prime minister or our past or premier-elect, I don't think they deserve the derision we heap on them. The way we treat politicians of all stripes, the way we malign their character, the way we tear them down as people, it's reprehensible for those of us who call ourselves the followers of Christ. It's so far outside of what the scriptures say should be becoming of a person who names the name of Christ. You can disagree with the policies all day long, and please do, but we do not tear down the person and we always respect the office. That's what a follower of Christ does. If Paul could do it, if Peter could do it, if Daniel could do it, in their government contexts, then for sure we can. Peter also said, and this is continuing on in, in 1 Peter 2, 15 to 17, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Wow. 
I mean, Christians who respect a government that they don't agree with are doing good, according to Peter. And they're silencing fools by ple- and by pleasing God at the same time. Now, think, think hard about the implications of this for us as the followers of Christ. Think about some of the things that you've said about our prime minister over the last three years and ask yourself if that's consistent with what we just heard from Peter. Have you honored the emperor? Have you honored the prime minister with your words and your attitudes? Think about what you've thought about our provincial government for the last four years or the last 15 years. Have you honored the premier as the scriptures would tell us to do? Think about, for those of you maybe who aren't pleased with Thursday's election results, think about the attitudes that you have right now. And are you honoring the premier-elect and the government that's coming in in the way the scriptures are telling us to do? And by the way, in the context of, while we're talking about respecting government, let's respect the fact that we're in a democracy and we all might have different ideas about what constitutes good governance and how we might have voted on Thursday and let's have some respect for each other on that. And let's be done with the nonsense. I'll say it here first. Let's be done with the nonsense that somehow because a party has the word conservative in the name that it represents the ideals of the word of God. Let's be done with that. There are no political parties that are respecting and honoring what we understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. We're doing the best we can to fulfill our earthly obligations in a world that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, um, enough on that one. Thank you. Number three, <laughs> contribute to the community. So, so hundreds of years before Jesus came, more at the time of Daniel, the exile. So all these Jewish people are being carried off into exile. Now they're going to live in exile away from the nation of Israel. And, and you got to imagine that some of them probably felt pretty bitter and angry inside. They'd seen loved ones killed. They had lost their homes. They'd lost their temple, everything. So now maybe they're, they're feeling angry and upset about all of that. And God says to them through the prophet Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah 29, seven. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Okay, he, he's saying, God is saying to them, hey, I know that the situation I'm sending you into isn't perfect. I realize that you don't have the temple anymore. I realize that you're going to be living among pagan people in a pagan land. I realize you don't know the culture or the language. I realize that the whole thing's going to be far from the ideal that we both wished uh, could happen here. But when you get there, make that city the best place that you could possibly live. Work really hard to make it an awesome city. Now, those of us who have chosen to live in the city of Barrie, and Cheryl, I came here um, 17 years ago, and, and uh, we love this city, and we, we believe we live in a great city. The county of Simcoe is a great county to live in, and, and, and we ought to be working to make it an even better place. You think about the city of Barrie. We're an hour from the city of Toronto. We want to go down there and have some fun. We're an hour from Muskoka. We can get over to Collingwood in less than an hour. We live in just an awesome place. We have this waterfront community that God has given to us. And God is saying to us, in essence, seek the welfare of that city. Make it a great place to live. And so you have a passion to be involved in community things. Be involved in those things. If you want to do the Alzheimer's walk because you have some connection to that, go and do that and contribute to the city and and be involved in that thing. If you want to run for the cure, I mean, I don't get running. I'd rather walk than run. But if you want to run for the cure, then do that and raise money for cancer research. That's awesome. Help your community. Don't put these things on the same level as the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. These are rendered to Caesar things in a positive sense of that. They're temporal things. 
They're earthly obligations, but we should be in, involved with them. And at our house, we have a basic rule that if um, we live on a court, and so it's all pretty self-contained, we're not really connected to anything else around us. And so pretty much anybody that shows up at our door is from our street. And so when we have these little kids, you know, they show up at our door. We just have a basic rule. Any kid that shows up at our door for anything, if they need a sponsorship for a thing they're doing, they're, you know, doing jump rope for hard, or, or they're selling that overpriced chocolate, you know, like eight almonds in a box. It's like, there's only eight here. I paid three bucks for this, right? Okay, but the deal is, so we have the rule. If they show up at the door, we're buying, we're sponsoring. Just bottom line, because we want to make our neighborhood, our street, an awesome place. And we want to be great neighbors. So we never turn a kid away. And, and, and so it's, it's not about the number of chocolates or the quality of chocolate. It's about the kid and the neighborhood and, and what we're trying to do to seek the welfare of our city. So listen, if you're saying no to some kid that comes to your door from your street, you know, stop it. <laughs> Spend the three bucks and enjoy all eight of the almonds. <laughs> if you work for a social work agency, it's a very horizontal thing. It's a very, you're only going to help people for this lifetime, maybe. But work at it. Seek the welfare of your city. If you're a public servant, you work for government, work at it. Do it well. Whatever role that you have, make this city, this county a great place to live. Christians, especially those who homeschool and who send their kids to Christian school, which Cheryl and I did, um, uh, you know, they love to malign the public school system, and we just need to stop that. We, we need to affirm, and we have many public school teachers uh, and educators and administrators who are part of this church family, and they're doing the best they can as the followers of Jesus Christ to be in those public schools and to make those public schools the best they could possibly be, to serve the family, serve the children, serve the community. We need to affirm that. That's seeking the welfare of the city. And so you want to choose homeschooling? Awesome. You want to choose Christian schools? Awesome. But let's also pour ourselves into the public institutions that God has given to us and that God ordained for us. I'm almost done my rant, almost. <laughs> but I'm going to root my rant in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So whatever you're doing, if you're a public servant, if you're a public school teacher... If you're working in a social service agency, do it heartily. Do it for the Lord. Bring glory to Him by what you're doing. And we do this because every single person that comes, the, the little kid that comes to the door with the chocolate or, or, or the student in the public school classroom or the, or the person who shows up at the counter at a government office that you might be working in, all of those people, every single one of them is made in the image of God. Every one of them is an image bearer of God. And therefore, it is always, always a good thing to do good things for people. It's always an awesome thing, noble and godly, to love and care for people. And so render to Caesar in this case is an awesome, loving thing that shows that you have uh, the heart of God. And so do it. Work for the good of your community. That's the third one. How about number four? Pray for government leaders. Pray for them. Um, Paul said this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 3, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And we're going to pray for them. Why are we going to pray for them? The answer is given here. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Now, as I start to think, because we're talking about government, we're talking about politics, we're talking about elections. And when I think about some of the things that some people have said, even just things I've seen on social media, which is like the worst, the last words that I would attach to that, and I'm talking about things that are coming from people who profess to be Christians, the last words that I would describe social media posts and people's attitudes about politics would be peaceful, quiet, godly. I certainly would never use the word dignified. So 
so many Christians acting very undignified prior to the election and post-election this week. So we're supposed to pray for our leaders. That's going to change our whole attitude again towards government. Because it's so difficult to say a person's name. It's so difficult to say a person's name before a holy God who saved you by his grace. And then to remain angry at that person. So when you say a person's name in prayer, God bless this person, help them do what they're doing and saying their name, that evens up the playing field. We're all just sinners in need of the grace of God. And it's so difficult then to remain angry and upset about people and about politics because we're putting it all into the hands of God who's overall anyways. Here's the last one that kind of wraps up this section and it's just simply this, I got to keep my head. I got to keep my head about it. And we should participate in this democracy that God has given to us. Um, I understand that the voter turnout on Thursday for the provincial election was 58%, which apparently is good compared to the election prior. I'm a little ashamed by the number actually. As flawed as it is, as flawed as our democracy is, you wouldn't want to exchange it for any other form of government, would you? And so what we're trying to get at here is, is I mean, I want to have, if I'm going to keep my head, I want to have a, a, a God-centered, a, a theocentric, biblical view of the world. That's what I want to get. And when I have that, when I get God's perspective on it, then it's going to clear up the mess of all the human politics that are going on around us. And all of that is rooted in a man-centered, an anthropocentric view of the world. And the problem is that sometimes as the followers of Christ, we lose the God perspective and we're just down here on the horizontal plane and we've, we've just got a man-centered view of things. And we're forgetting that God had a lot to say about government. And so it, when I get this, I have this God-centered view of things. Thursday does not upset me. It doesn't surprise me. If the result had been entirely different, Thursday would not have upset, it upset me. It would not have surprised me. Whichever government had been elected on Thursday, I would expect it. This is what I expect of the new Ontario government. I expect it to be deeply flawed. It's going to be deeply flawed. There are going to be controversies. And listen, it is not going to change the world. I doubt it's even going to change Ontario. I'm very calm about the government we elected, but I would have been very calm about it if it had been a different outcome. It's all about our perspective. And as people of faith, we need to understand who we are. And I'm going to paraphrase out of Hebrews chapter 11. You remember this great chapter about all the heroes of the faith. And it, it says about that, and it relates it to us, that we acknowledge that we are strangers and exiles on earth, that from the moment we become followers of Jesus Christ, we no longer belong here. We belong in a different kingdom. We're just strangers here, and we're exiles living away from the place where we really belong, which is the kingdom of heaven. So we acknowledge that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. This is Hebrews 11. We make it clear that we are seeking a homeland. I love this. We desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one, a better country. No politician is ever going to deliver that to you, but Jesus Christ will. We desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one, and God is preparing for us a city. Now, you may, in some respects, feel upset by this government or that one. You may not have voted for the one that was brought in on Thursday. You may not agree with any particular government. They may be on the other end of the ideological spectrum from where you stand. You may feel the leader doesn't have integrity or character. 
but it's of little consequence. To us who are the followers of Christ, our part is simply to keep our head about it all and to realize that God is in control and every human government is temporary, all of them. Isaiah 41, 2, he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust. God's in control of this world. God's in control of this province. God's in control of our country. And anyway, we're looking for a better country, a heavenly one. All right, that's my earthly obligations. Very quickly now in the last few minutes, my heavenly obligations. Verse uh, 25, of course, he says, render to God the things that are God's. And in one word, what is God's? What does God own? Everything. Everything is his. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And again, in setting up this render to Caesar and render to God thing, the apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3.19 about those who have their minds set on earthly things. In other words, too much render to Caesar, too much focus on, on the earthly things. And he contrasts that with believers saying that we as the followers of Christ, verse 20 of Philippians 3, uh, need to understand that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my perspective. That's my heavenly obligations are heading me in a certain direction. And let's lay it out this way. Again, three items here. The first one is I need to love God. That's my heavenly obligation is to love God. That's the great commandment is to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love him by worshiping him. I love him by worshiping him corporately with God's people. I worship him personally by being in the word and singing songs and praying to him and serving him. I worship him. I also seek to live a holy life. I read about Jesus and I see his life and I desire more than anything else to be like Jesus Christ, my Savior. So I, I worship him. I live a holy life. I do all of this in light of what God has done for me in sending his one and only son to this earth to pay the penalty of my sin, to give his life on my behalf. And to make it possible for me, listen, to become a citizen of that better country, that heavenly one. God made that possible through the sending and the sacrifice of his son. And so I need to love him. I, I, it's, it's really much less, we've used the word obligation here, but it's much less of an obligation and, and much more of, you know what, I want to do this. Look what God's done for me. I love him so much. I want to worship him and live a holy life. I want to have an eternal perspective on everything, and it starts with my love for God. So heavenly obligations, love God. Secondly, love people. I want to be carrying out his mission in the world with all the resources that God has given to me to promote, to fulfill the mission, to make disciples, to find people who aren't disciples and make them one, to take people who are disciples and make them better ones. I want to pray to that end. I want to witness to people. I want to invite them to come and see. I want to go to them and tell the gospel. I want to give sacrificially to the mission. I want to serve according to the gifts God has given to me. I want to be prepared to sacrifice whatever it takes to accomplish the mission in my lifetime. The mission is everything. And by fulfilling it, I, I, I actually accomplish the greatest goal, which is to glorify God with my life to please him in every way. He's worthy of having me have this all-encompassing priority in my life. This is number one. The one thing he left me to do in this world is to tell other people about his son, Jesus Christ. And so as you render to Caesar, okay, right now we're talking about rendering to God, but as you render to Caesar, just ask yourself the question, is what I'm about to do having some kind of impact into eternity? Will it have an effect beyond this life? And, and it's great that some of us are working in ways to say, you know what, I just want to make a difference in this life. I want to impact people now. And that can be an awesome render to Caesar thing. Or some of you might say, you know what, I, I want to do something that's going to last a generation or impact down even to the second generation or even to the fourth generation. And I want to tell you, all of those things can be awesome things, but 
I mean, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we need to have our sights set on eternity. Like, how am I going to do some things that are going to make a difference in eternity? Because so much of what we're putting our energies into is just going to burn up someday and be gone. So how can I be faithful in all of that? So carrying out his mission, this is all under love, people. And second, acting on behalf of the oppressed. Um, it's become so obvious in our study of Luke's gospel that Jesus has such a heart for those who live on the margins, for orphans and uh, for widows and for the disabled and for the broken and for the hurting, for those who are sinners, for those who are desperate and alone and without hope in this world. Jesus has such a heart for them. And do we have that same heart? And I was thinking about this because lost in the news this week, there was so much that went on in the news. Of course, the G7 summit and then the Stanley Cup was awarded and the NBA finals and, and then there was the election and it just seems like the whole news cycle was just dominated by these big stories and kind of lost in the midst of it. In the past seven days, two uh, well-known celebrities both uh, took their own lives and uh, Kate Spade and uh, Anthony Bourdain. Kate Spade, a fashion designer, really well-known and uh, Anthony Bourdain is a, a CNN, was a CNN personality at a great show called Parts Unknown, very creative and lots of followers. And both of these people at the pinnacle of their careers, both of them having wealth and fame, both of them just like so popular in each of their own fields. And both of them got to a place where they felt so alone and desperate and without hope and no answers and nowhere to turn. Both of them took their own lives. And it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. The desperation that people are facing in this world and the lack of answers that they have. Both of them would have bought into the lie that this world tells that if you achieve certain levels of success, and again, both of them were at the pinnacle of that. If you have a certain amount of wealth, if you're well-liked, if you have this many Twitter followers, if, if people come to your shows and they watch your programs and that somehow that's going to be satisfying and it's a lie that the world tells people. And if there's anybody here today and, and you're believing that lie and you're chasing down satisfaction or fulfillment in some, way, some other way other than Jesus Christ, it's always gonna end up in a dead end. There's hope, but it's only found in Christ. And we as the followers of Christ need to have such a heart because I would consider both Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain to be the oppressed, even though they wouldn't naturally fall into those categories of widows and orphans because they were so successful in the eyes of the world. They were the oppressed. They were being told a lie. They believed it. Their depression and their lack of fulfillment drove them to do something so awful to themselves. And this is our mission in the world. This is what God's entrusted to us, to care for those who are in such hurting situations because you and I possess the words of life. Render to God means love God, love people. And finally this, stand firm. Our heavenly obligations include standing firm, both Peter and Paul, who advocated so strongly for respect of government. Listen, both Peter and Paul, who advocated so strongly for respect of government, ended up dying at the hands of that same government they respected. Both of them were martyred for their faith under the order of the Caesar. And when render to Caesar conflicts with render to God, and let me quote from Acts 5.29 right now, I must obey God rather than man. This is the preeminent priority is to render to God. When government requires us to violate the mission that Jesus has given us in this world, then listen, civil disobedience is acceptable. We should never compromise our biblical convictions for the sake of political expediency or personal comfort. In fact, we as the followers of Jesus Christ should be willing and ready to lose our reputation, to have it trashed 
We should be ready to lose relationships. We should be ready to sacrifice even our physical well-being, our livelihood, our possessions. Rendering to God, standing for Christ, should cost us. And the fact that it hasn't really and that we live at a time of peace and prosperity is really just the result of the kindness of God in our lives. But let's not take that for granted. Let's not treat that with contempt. God has blessed us in this country, overwhelmingly so. God has blessed us in this province. God has blessed us in this city. And let's appreciate that for what it is, a gift from God. And let's be ready to stand firm no matter what God sends our way. And the bottom line in this entire message is be good citizens of both countries, the heavenly one and the earthly one. Be devoted to the holy and eternal rather than the profane and temporal. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let's pray. Our Father has so much for us to um, process in all of this. And um, I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom in the coming days. And, and again, no doubt, we will be tempted to say things and to have attitudes that are not becoming of the followers of Christ. And so as we've heard the word of God I pray that you would indeed again pierce our hearts around these things and that we would be so ready to live for you. And God, help us again by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us to accomplish the mission. Father, you've given us a time and a place to engage in the mission to make disciples. And you've given us countless opportunities to minister to those who are vulnerable and living on the margins, the weak and the poor. And so, Father, help us to move with compassion in the exact same way Jesus did, to care for all those who bear your image in this world and to proclaim the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray this morning for the new government of Ontario. We pray uh, for um, Premier-elect Ford. We pray with gratitude for Premier Wynn. We pray for our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. We pray, God, that you would give them wisdom, that you would guard their hearts. God, that you would use them in the grand plan that you have for this world to accomplish your will. And Father, we pledge ourselves in this day to respect and honor the governments that you've given to us. And even in that, to be different, to let the world see that even when we disagree, we can still respect. And all of this for the glory of God. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.